Welcome to it. Welcome to it. It is about almost 3.15. We'll tell you guys why it was almost or why it is almost 3.15 in short order. But it's 3.15 on a Monday afternoon, so you guys know what time it is. It is time for Talk That Talk. I am your host, Terrell Chatterbox Emerson, in studio with my guy, Matthew Raftery. Matt, what's going on, man? Ain't much. Doing uh, doing pretty good. Uh, it's another day in paradise. We're, we're about to yeah. hop right back to it. We have plenty to talk about today. I think we got a full show Especially after this first 15 minutes didn't go the way we planned for it. Uh, why do people always mess with settings in here? I could give you... Uh, because we have a full show, I'm not going to go into complete detail. Um, nor am I going to give you the <laughs> honest answer. Um, just, I guess they do. That's about the best way I can leave it. I was going to say something about the inmates running the asylum, <laughs> but... <laughs> then that would beg the question who are the inmates yeah again that's why uh, next topic that, that's, they, they call that the PR move they're like eh, careful with that one that's funny nah you know what's funny uh, I see what is happening today yep I see it all and let's just let's, let's keep it a bean uh, first of all it's getting to my, my, my type of weather right and uh, I threw on a hoodie today thinking we were going to be in a different studio. I walked into that studio earlier. It was extremely cold in that studio, the way I like it. And then we moved studios. It's hot as hell in here, Matt. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievably hot in here. But we got a regular show for you guys. We got a typical show for you guys. If you guys are watching on Facebook Live, we appreciate you guys. Uh, if you guys would like to do so, you guys can do so by following the Talk That Talk radio show. Speaking of following the Talk That Talk radio show, you can do so across all platforms. That includes Google Podcasts, that includes Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Instagram, Facebook. The one thing that is different is our Twitter. Our Twitter is at Talk That Talk LV. We got some quick hits to start the show with. I actually, actually believe it or not, I think we got tip-ins, both tip-ins, coming in the first 20 minutes of the show. Believe it or not. So we're going to start with my mom's tip in. If you guys follow me on social media, you guys have already seen this. I posted this today. Uh, she sent me a, a couple of these that were really dope today, and I, I'm probably good for a little bit. But she always has a habit of sending me what I need, right? So this tip in says, when you are sad or upset, always remember these points. Pain is part of growing. Everything in life is temporary. Worrying and complaining changes nothing. Your scars are symbols of your strength. Every little struggle is a step forward. Other people's negativity is not your problem. What's meant to be will eventually be. And the best thing you can do is to keep going. I don't know, man. Those, those sound like commandments to live by in my mind. Uh, really quick before I move on, I'm only going to read it once considering the, the start of the show. But... Uh, one thing that I did like most about this particular tip in other people's negativity is not your problem. 
Yeah, hundred um, percent. You know, I think without obviously getting too personal, um, what really the last year for me has been is always. I mean, it's it's been a roller coaster ride uh, to say the least. Um, a lot of ups, some downs, kind of somewhere in between. Um, but really realizing that like the downs, like like the tip and said, like we're not going to last forever. Um, and so often like over this past year, even I caught myself sometimes just <clears throat> getting really like caught up in that, like, man, this, you know, this shit sucks. Um, you know, I start, you know, the doubt starts setting in as far as like, am I doing everything right? Like, did I miss something somewhere? And, um, but yeah, no, I think that that's pretty spot on that. Like even the downs and the, the, negative things of life can still maybe while they seem like roadblocks can still propel you forward in the long run especially if you use it the right way right yeah and, and i think everything that you just said is absolutely true and i think I, I just said it again yesterday somebody asked me about this media company and i said that it has its peaks and valleys i said it's definitely a lot more peaks than valleys yeah uh so as long as life progresses like that I'm, I'm all for it. I, I like the fact that you said it, it was a lot of ups and you said some downs. You didn't say a lot of downs. You said some downs. So I like the fact that you also understand the power of words. Uh, but yeah, man, let's hop right to it. I'm actually starting with some quick hits today. Uh, this is actually where my I guess we're getting tip ins in the first seven minutes because this is where my dad's tip in actually kind of comes into play, mainly because this kind of sets the stage for what we're talking about today. But my dad's tip in is as follows. Once again, I sound like a broken record, but for the avid sportsman, it was a great weekend full of excitement. Whether your team won or lost, we had MLB divisional playoff rounds decided. We had three different. Am I echoing? You're good. Okay, thank you. Where are we at? We had three different professional fight cards, NFL games, some of which pitted potential playoff previews. NFL, or excuse me, NHL hockey is underway, and the NBA kicks off their season this week. What more could you ask for? Of all the sporting events going on this weekend, there was one in particular that really caught my attention. The Deontay Wilder Robert Hellenius card, Hellenius card, excuse me, was the most ex was the most exciting mainly because both the co-main event and the main event both ended in thunderous knockouts. Congratulations, congratulations rather to Wilder on his first round knockout of Hellenius. And welcome back to the Bronze Bomber and his winning ways. If you take Tyson Fury out of the equation, Deontay Wilder is 43-0 with 42 knockouts. But in the co-main event, Caleb Plant punished Anthony Durrell with a vicious knockout that at the time had us all worried about, Dur about Durrell's well-being because it took what seemed like an eternity for him to get up off the floor. And even then, he had no idea where he was. The ironic part to me was the fact that after much trash talking leading up to this fight, it wasn't just the build up to the fight, but, say, but to say that these guys have a genuine dislike for each other is an understatement. Darrell went as far as to say that he hated Plant. Now, if there is a funny part to this, this is it. During the in-ring introductions, Caleb Plant was sporting a black t-shirt that said something along the lines of, he doesn't know me enough to hate me. After the knockout and everyone was checking on Darrell, Plant was seen in another black shirt that said, now we do. Classic. 
where the hell do I go from there? First of all, we talk about the fight game all the time. I have been on record to say that our generation's fight game in terms of boxing is not close to my dad's generation. Your dad, our parents' generations of boxing, right? This is one of those classic moments. This is one of those moments that it's like, oh, this is still going on after the fight. Like, in the moment, it's still going on after the fight. So, uh, I think my dad is right in terms of a classic moment. But, to be honest, this was probably one of the first times in a really, really, I shouldn't say really, really long time. This is one of the first times that I felt as excited about boxing this past weekend. So many different headlines, so many different uh, fights to talk about. And I'm going to break down, well, I'm going to try to break down a handful of them for you guys right now. But Clarissa Shields defeated, defeated excuse me, Savannah Marshall by unanimous decision. By doing so, she picked up two additional belts. Uh, she she And the interesting thing is, I'm actually looking at it right here, and it says that it's only one additional one that she that she won but even if you guys go to her twitter clarissa shields has mentioned that she picked up two additional belts this saturday but she defeated savannah marshall by unanimous decision to improve to 13 and 0 in her career she retained the wba wbf ibf and the ring female middleweight titles while picking up the wbo female middleweight title um we've talked about Clarissa Shields being the GWOT, right? Her nickname is the GWOT, the greatest woman of all time. She 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 played with the idea of it before, but there may be a real time where we have to take that W away. Clarissa Shields this weekend picked up her third undisputed championship. She's the first boxer, male or female. To unify three championships so clarissa shields is already in rare air and if you can get any higher she absolutely did this past weekend same thing goes with devin haney devin haney capped off a second straight victory over george cambosos jr uh first of all to beat cambosos to beat cambosos period now to beat cambosos twice now to beat cambosos twice in australia You can't talk to me. If I'm Devin Haney, I don't I respect to to all the rest of the lightweights. You can't talk to me. I'm on an emotional high right now that's probably going to rise sometime until mid-summer next year. No nobody talk to me. And and that's the way that he should feel. He retained the WBA super uh, lightweight title in addition to the WBC, the WBO, the IBF, and the ring lightweight titles. Uh, and, and this victory, in addition to the last one, was a unanimous decision. That's the second time he's beat Cambosos in the last five months. In addition to retaining all of those titles, he improved to 29-0 and 0 in his career. If you guys are wondering about George Cambosos, it's not like he fought a scrub. George Cambosos in his career is 20-2. and 2. I just told you where his two losses came from. Two other boxing matches to get to, both of which my dad already kind of gave you guys the, the the rundown of. But Caleb Plant did knock out Anthony Durrell in the ninth round of their fight. That is the first fight for Caleb Plant since losing to Canelo Alvarez in November of last year from the MGM Garden here in Las Vegas. You still don't like the MGM? What do you think? Matt, I'm going to drag you to the MGM. 
I mean, I'm going to end up probably being there in some. No, I'm going to drag you not to work. As a fan? Yes. We're going to do this. Is it an open tab? Is that the way I have to get you at the house? I have to make it an open tab? Yeah. For the MGM, probably. Preferably an open bar <laughs> tab, yeah, for sure. Because then I can, like, at least drink my way through the experience, and I won't remember a whole lot. People, if, for people who listen to this show who have never been to the MGM Grand Garden Arena, they probably think it's the worst building here in Las Vegas. You think it is? Yes. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. All right, time out. Does Cashman count as a building? No. Why doesn't it? Because it's outside. Oh, you're playing semantics and I don't like it. Cashman is the worst. All right, never mind. Now, if you want to say sporting facility, then yes, Cashman takes the cake. I almost said a couple other things. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on. Caleb Plant, <laughs> Caleb Plant gets this victory at the Barclays Center in New York City. Uh, my dad already kind of alluded to everything that I was going to talk about in terms of this fight, but the lead up to it. Uh, Caleb Plant is somebody who, let's be honest, if you don't, I'll put it this way. If you don't like him, you hate him. You, you, you absolutely hate him. If you are a fan of Caleb Plant, I think that you like his bravado. I think that you think that he's a likable guy, even still in certain moments. Um, but I got to just address the elephant in the room. And we understand what the fight game is, right? And I tell you guys all the time, I think that every reporter, and I do stand by this, I think every reporter should have to cover a combat sport. I do, at some point. Because it teaches you how to use your words correctly. It, it absolutely teaches you that. I say that to say, Caleb Plant and Anthony Durrell had a lot of lead up going into this. If I'm going to... If I'm going to call a spade a spade, I have to do it when I don't want to as well. As much as I like Caleb Plant, as Anthony Durrell is unconscious in the middle of the, of the octagon, and we and, and granted, I'm about to get to the to the elephant in the room. Once I mention this point as well, as Anthony Durrell is laying motionless in the mid, in the middle of the canvas, Caleb Plant begins to motion as if he's burying Anthony Durrell, and. Again, we understand the nature of the beast that we're dealing with in terms of the fight game. We understand the nature of the beast in terms of the beef leading into it, right? I heard the conversation that 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 Canelo and Caleb Plant had following their fight. That gives you a glimpse into who both of those men are. As much as Caleb Plant was in that moment, I don't want to feel like I'm giving him a way out or an excuse or a cop out or whatever the case may be. I don't think that that's the Caleb Plant that the rest of, that he wants the rest of the world to know. That looked disgusting last night. It looked gross. Whether or not he backs off of it or not, I understand where it comes from. It's still not something you want to see. Now, in terms of the elephant in the room and me saying that, Bernard Hopkins used to do it. Bernard Hopkins' nickname was the Executioner. So we understand the nature of the beast that we're dealing with. So 
I will admit the hypocrisy in that. But I would hope that the same person that I'm admitting my hypocrisy in terms of Bernard Hopkins doing that at the end of every win, I would also hope that they understand that this was done with a different level of vitriol. Therefore, they're not the same. I th- I haven't seen it yet, but I expect Caleb Plant to come out and heal him to say, probably shouldn't have did that. I stand by how I felt, whatever the case may be. That actual action probably shouldn't have happened. We've seen boxers die this year behind head trauma. We've seen a boxer die within the last 30 days with head trauma. With head trauma, excuse me. Not necessarily what you want to see, especially after a knockout like that. And then following that up with what my dad mentioned already in the in the main event of that car from the Barclays, Deontay Wilder improved to 40. Well, I can't leave out Tyson Fury, dad, but Deontay Wilder improved to 43-2-1 in his career. Knockout of Robert Hellenius in the first round. I believe Deontay Wilder, I think they, I, I could be wrong, but I think he may have only clean, like, flush. Landed three punches? And the punch that knocked him out was a right straight. Granted, Hellenius was coming into the punch. So who knows how much added damage he did by walking into that punch. But it definitely was something that we hadn't seen from Deontay Wilder in a little bit. And what I mean by that is that's his first win since November of 2019. In addition, that's his first round first, first round knockout since may of 2019 but that's a couple of quick hits in terms of of boxing for today but we're about to get into our typical local news and things of that nature nascar was local this weekend it was and you were out there and and first of all let's go ahead and do this really quick you guys know i try to keep it a bean as much as i can in terms of this media company so i'm going to let you guys know how a lot of these conversations happen uh, and my dad did just confirm it was three punches that is absolutely insane how much i got to pay you to take a punch from deontay water better be an open check blank check i'll, I'll give you the figure <laughs> you gonna give me the figure after he hits you no, because you can't change it once he hits you. No, 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 because my scribbling is going to be, it's going to be like all scribbled and stuff. I got to come up with a huge number. I got to like basically overcompensate to start. And then, you know, yeah. And hope that the punch isn't that bad, <laughs> even though we know it's going to be devastating. Anyway, let's talk about these, these, these real life conversations that we have. You came to me a while back and I'll be completely honest. I forgot. Uh, you came to me a while back and this was maybe earlier this year. You asked if uh, the company ever had like credentials, I think for NASCAR. I told you, no, nobody's ever even expressed interest in it. So I told you at that time, reach out. Like, I've never reached out to him, so I expect you to figure out how to reach out. You came to me again a couple of weeks ago, and I forgot. (laughs) You told me about the South 2400. I said, do what you do. I don't really care. Have at it. You, However you go about it, I see that you're still on it. So you don't need to even update me about it. Like, you got it. I say all of that to say the weekend is here, or the weekend comes. Saturday, you're out there, you're live tweeting. Sunday, you're out there, you're live tweeting. The story comes in after the race is ran. And it was amazing from from my vantage point to watch a sport that I have 
I will admit, I think I've kind of fallen out of the, fallen out of love with to see somebody breathe so much life back into the sport. I tweeted it out last night and I said I think I might be back on the back on the the NASCAR bandwagon after what you saw this weekend. But tell the people what you saw. I mean, it was uh, you know it was tame weekend, right? I mean, little fights and stuff, <laughs> eh, no big deal. Uh, no, in all seriousness, uh, it was a playoff race. Uh, it had all the intensity of a playoff race that you would expect. Um, it's funny, uh, Joey Logano obviously won the South Point Four Hundred. Um, <clears throat> one of the quotes that kind of struck me a little bit, um, it was kind of a full circle moment, which started on Saturday was. Uh, he's, he's, he accredited that, you know, he was battling with Ross Chastain and he had a little bit of a tire advantage over Chastain as far as, uh, Lugano had came in a few laps later than Ross Chastain did, meaning, uh, Lugano's car had fresher tires on it. He had a little more speed. He could make more aggressive moves to get to the front. And I talked to Joey on Saturday about this very thing, because you would go into Sunday, you look at it, you go, okay. This race is being ran in the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. Literally, the sun is on the entire track. Heat is also going to be somewhat of a factor because it's a dry heat. Remember, these guys are based in North Carolina. Mm. They're they're used to a humid heat. A dry heat is a little bit different because it kind of teases with your hydration levels. Mm-hmm. Um, it may, It gives the perception that you're more hydrated than what you actually are. And um, I, I had asked Joey, I said, you know, uh, one of the topic of concerns in this season had been um, the tire. Mm-hmm. If, it's, it's, if it's a good tire, if, you know, changes need to be made, if it falls off too quick, if it lasts for long runs, um, you know, with heat, obviously, race being in the mid to upper 80s right. and sunlight mm-hmm. being all over the track, um, would that you know, force guys to really reserve a lot of their stuff for later on if we get long green flag runs and, you know, not really push the push the envelope a little bit too early in a sense. And he, he looked at me, he kind of d- dismissed it a little bit. He said, yeah, I mean, that obviously can happen. There's a possibility for that. But, um, you know, this is going to be, this won't be, ag- I think, as hot as maybe originally thought. Um, but, um, you know, there's definitely obviously definitely a possibility with being at the mile and a half. So you can mm-hmm. you can have tire fall off. You can you know have guys that are really good at uh, managing their stuff and really good at re- you know saving a lot of their tires until uh, they really need them at the end of the runs and stuff. So all that and then kind of full like I said full circle moment back to Sunday. Tires played a huge strategy and Joey Logano grabbing the win and punching his ticket to the championship four. Um, maybe one of the biggest storylines coming out of this race, aside from that, was what happened between Bubba Wallace and Kyle Larson. So before you get there, because you're absolutely right, we're heading straight there. First of all, I think it's hard. First of all, uh, you asked. First of all, when you asked about all of these, uh, these NASCAR questions earlier in the year, you shortly found that because we hadn't had somebody who had covered NASCAR for the company before, it's it's a blank canvas. You can kind of dress it up how you want. So to watch you again have free reign with it throughout, uh, excuse me, throughout the weekend was 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 fun to see and empowering to see. However, when it came to the story, I've only remembered how I've read stories about racing, and 
I was young, right? I just talked about it. I've been out of the sport probably since 2015, so I've I've been completely away from it. I was texting you as I was actually reading this story, and it's hard to – I think it's hard to embody the exciting moments of a race, how to package that into a story. And you did it at least three different times in this one. But before you get off of Ross Chastain and Joey Logano, Joey Logano only read this, only led this race twice yep. for a total of 34, 32 laps. Excuse me. Chastain, who actually finished second in this race, led the race four different times, which in this story you actually highlighted. It was a race high four different times. He led for a total of 68 laps. I'm sick. Like, bro, I'm not standing on this podium. Or I'm, bro. I mean, you're absolutely right. Like, if you're Ross Chastain, um, part of you is a little bit sick that you led the most amount of times and you led for the most amount of laps out of everybody in the field. Oh, gosh. Um, and Ross, I mean, he was putting his car in good positions. Like, he, he wasn't, it wasn't one of those, he, you know, was just riding around in the back and then 100 laps to go. He said, oh, time to make my move to the front now. So... <laughs> And I mean, he was actively, you know, making good moves that, you know, put his car in good positions. And he was, you know, up there running up front pretty much all day. Right. Um, you know, probably a top three car at least um, as far as terms of speed. There was probably three or four guys that you could make the argument, you know, had a, a decent chance to win. Um, but, I mean, Ross also, you know, being very gracious after he lost. You know, he, he, he kind of – he the quote that I think a lot of people took away from Ross – post-race was, man, I hope I'm racing Joey Logano for a long time. Because, I, I mean, watching the last l few laps of those of that race, I said it, I mean, granted, I texted you, I think, on s maybe Saturday, or at least I texted a few people and said, no, Joey Logano got a fan of me. Like, No, I think you did he, text he, me that. He got, it, he got it from me. Like, dude's an all-around good dude. And, you know, there's probably three or four of those guys in the Cup Series that I actively root for, Joey now being one of those guys or at least the newest of those guys. Um, and like I said, it was on Saturday. It wasn't Sunday, so not hopping on anybody's bandwagon. <laughs> I called it before. You did. Um, but I also, with that being said, also kind of understand the way Joey races a little bit. Joey's been known to push the envelope on a few guys when it's time to go. And, you know, like we said, Joey Logano had a tire advantage over Ross Chastain. Mm -hmm. The biggest thing he, I think, that was in Joey's mind was, how do I get around Ross Chastain without taking him, myself, or both of us out of this race? That didn't happen for everybody, did it? No. Uh, but, like, I mean, I, I was, I would say Sunday, I saw Joey Logano mature just a little bit more. I mean, the guys made huge steps. He was kind of a, whatever you want to call him earlier, earlier in his career, he's running into guys, getting into fights. As he's aged, he's became more mature. I think there was another step taken in that maturity, uh, in that maturation process for Joey Logano because, I mean, I, I, I kind of had the assumption that the way Ross is racing, he's going to get moved by Joey Logano. Logano's going to put the bumper to him at some point. He's just waiting for it. And to Joey's credit, he stayed back. He waited for the right time. He kind of built up some runs and. He made a very clean, good move, and he won the race. So, speaking about waiting for that bump, uh, I don't think Bubba Wallace was expecting a bump. Oh, boy, Bubba. Yeah. 
Um, like I said, this is probably it may actually be the biggest headline coming out of Las Vegas. And coincidentally, it's between two guys that are not playoff drivers at the at the current state. <clears throat> Kyle Larson being the latest uh, casualty of being eliminated from the playoffs. He was eliminated in the round of 12 uh, after the Charlotte Roval, which was last week. So round of eight starting uh, this past weekend in Las Vegas. Um, it's a little bit of a different feeling, I guess. Um, so, I mean, going into... Uh, going into this race, both of them were kind of racing for essentially kind of the same thing. They were both racing for, you know, points as far as they want to finish as high as they possibly can uh, in the point standings. I, I mean, they can still finish, I don't know, as high as like maybe fourth or something like that or fifth or whatever the case may be. They can still pretty finish high in points and that has obviously contract incentives tied to it and all that. So they still want to run good and they want to run, you know, competitive for their own respective companies. And I think... Look, I, I, I'm not here to discredit Bubba Wallace's car. Bubba had probably a top four car if he keeps it clean. He had really good speed. He won the opening stage. I, after that stage, I said, I said to myself, if Bubba stays out of trouble and he just executes everything right, he's probably going to finish at worst third. He's going to be in the mix. He had the speed. He had... And it, it came out, I think, after he won stage one that they the, broad, the NBC broadcast had confirmed um, they brought the same race-winning car from Kansas to Las Vegas for Bubba Wallace. So mm. he had the same exact setup that he won with in Kansas back in September. And so, because I was trying to figure out, I was like, this is, I mean, Bubba's been running better the second half of the year, but this is a little more speed than we've even seen it during that stint. And then when they said, <laughs> yeah, no, this is the same car from Kansas, it made a little bit more sense as far as like, ah, okay, so there's still a lot of speed built into it um, and all that. As far as the incident, was Kyle Larson at fault? Yes. Is Bubba Wallace now also kind of at fault? Yeah, he is. Hell yeah. <laughs> the best way I can frame it oh, is Larson, Larson started the incident. I, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say Kyle Larson gets away clean uh, because he made a pretty aggressive move probably earlier in the race than you would expect. If it's five to go, I get it. That's one thing. You're fighting for position. Uh, you're, you're at that point trying to give yourself the best position you can to finish the race. Um, this was not, we hadn't even gotten to the halfway point of the race yet. And, you know, Kyle Larson goes low and he tries to, he gets a little bit loose, which slides him, his car up the track, uh, gets kind of, gets, into Bubba Wallace a little bit, which gets Bubba into the fence. And, um, I mean, I, I guess to Bubba's defense, uh, some people kind of thought like, oh, well, he, you know, his car could have still kept running. I don't know if it could have kept running. Right. I mean, the way this next-gen car is built, I would say the from what I've seen and what I've heard around the garage, the most fragile piece on the car is the tow link. Okay. If that breaks and it's been it's pretty easy to break it, your day is essentially shot. And I think when Bubba hit the wall, my guess is the tow link went out immediately. And that's where he felt the car just it was done. But Bubba wasn't done. He's I mean, to Bubba's somewhat defense, I understand the thought process as far as he felt like he probably got ran dirty by Kyle Larson and he wanted to retaliate. And let, let, let's address Again, we keep saying elephant in the room, but let's again address the elephant in the room. 
this is a sport where a mistake like that or a, 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 a risky move like that, people have lost lives on the track before. I'm glad you mentioned that. And I'm not, I'm not saying anybody lost a life here. That's not... But this season, more so than ever before, guys are missing races because of head injuries. I mean, just this past weekend, we heard Kurt Busch say he's stepping away full time after 28 years because he still feels like he's still dealing with a lot of those concussion-like symptoms that he encountered uh, in Pocono back in, back in the early summer, uh, I think July-ish area. Uh, for Kurt Busch. You've had him, uh, you know, now being not able to race full-time the rest of this year and into next year. You've had... Um, it was in July this year, you're right. Yeah. And you now have Alex Bowman, who's not going to be back until Phoenix, uh, the at earliest for the last race of the year. He's dealing with a concussion. We've got all these different guys um, that are dealing with different injuries because of this next-gen car the way it's designed, um, because when it was kind of a bigger topic of concern, um, still a pretty big topic of concern, is like, well, why is why are these guys getting hurt so easily? It was because of how they redesigned the car from where we were last year in or last season to where when a car wrecks or it hits the wall and it comes off the wall, to the naked eye, people look at the car and they go, oh, car looks okay. Like, right. it doesn't look that bad. The force of the hit goes more so now to the driver than anything. Whereas before, it would more so go to the car. The car would absorb most of the hit, leaving the driver fairly unscathed. Right. And so there's been a lot of meetings the past few handful of weeks uh, with the driver council and NASCAR to really amp up the safety of this car going into next season. That's where I, that's where I come to more of Kyle Larson's defense. If you are Bubba Wallace you in no way, shape, or form can hook Kyle Larson in the right rear and send him head on into the wall. So you saw that too. 170 miles an hour these guys are going, and you're going to send a guy head on into the outside wall at that speed. That to me is not okay. And like I said, I understand Bubba's frustration, but given everything we've had this season, especially when it comes to the safety concerns of this car, that cannot happen. And what comes about it, I, if I'm NASCAR, I am probably going to find Bubba Wallace and I'm probably going to dock him some points. Do I think it's necessarily worthy of a suspension? No, I mean, it's got to be pretty bad to warrant a, sus a suspension, in my opinion. Um. I mean, just a handful of weeks ago, we had William Byron get fined $100,000 for wrecking Denny Hamlin under the caution. Mm. That's a pretty big no-no in NASCAR. Like, they kind of frown upon that type of stuff happening. And, I mean, those are two play those were two playoff drivers, and our guests still currently are two playoff drivers. Right. And so what NASCAR ultimately decides to do, um, my like I said, my guess is we're going to see a fine of some sort, and we're going to see... Um, some sort of a point deduction for Bubba Wallace. Um, and I, they, I mean, they kind of asked Bubba after the incident what happened. And, um, you know, they, they thought, uh, they asked, you know, was it kind of a, a point of retaliation? And 
he he said to Bubba in Bubba's own words, he said the steering broke. I can tell you right now, we have data in these cars. Hmm. NASCAR will be able to confirm pretty quickly if Bubba lost the steering or if Bubba just took the left on Kyle Larson and sent him sent both of them into the wall. Like that was the other thing. And the the big probably the bigger. I mean, the situation on itself is pretty big. The fact that he collected a Toyota teammate in Christopher Bell who's fighting for a championship and ended his day may be a bigger story in all this because, I mean, Christopher Bell, he was another one of those guys. He, I would say there was probably three or four of those guys. Like, I would say it was Ryan Blaney, Christopher Bell, um, Bubba Wallace, that I felt if they ran a clean race they would have a probably a top five and would be contending for the win and Christopher Bell he was making moves um, he had gotten himself I think in the top five by the mm-hmm. end of the stage one so he collected some good stage points um, it's a guy that you know Christopher Bell he he kind of needed a Hail Mary to get to the round of eight he won the Charlotte Roval the w- previous week which punched his ticket into the round of eight and so it's a guy that um He's still young. He still, you know, makes a, probably a few too many mistakes for a lot of people's liking. But when he runs a clean race, he has some of the best speed in the garage. And to see him kind of get taken out as an innocent bystander in all this, I mean, if you're Christopher Bell, one, I don't know how you're not upset with Bubba I, Wallace. That's what I was going to say. Uh, I you would have saw another little scuffle on the other side. Yeah, but <laughs> I mean... To Christopher's credit, he's not like that type that type of person. He's very even keeled. He's very he's willing to lot, let a lot of stuff go. I'm with you. If I'm Christopher Bell and I look at what the point implications look like, I'm looking at Bubba Wallace saying, "Bro, look how many points you just costed me." Like, oh. you know, the Toyotas. It's been no secret the Toyotas have ran very well at the mile and a half. I mean, we had. All, a whole slew of, you know, different points of this. Like, we had Denny Hamlin finish in the top five. Kyle Busch he, had, In his starting position was 31. Yeah, Denny was starting deep in the field, and he worked on that car, just kind of, you know, cut away at, you know, the guy. He worked his way through the field, kept his car clean. Another guy that had a lot of adversity and still made pretty good of it was Kyle Busch. He, he was a guy that, you know, also kind of starting middle middle of the pack. He spins with two laps to go in stage one. So that kind of that's a setback for him, and then uh, in the mid to later portions of the final stage, as we're kind of getting to the down to the wire on the race, he has a left front tire come off that he has to come back to pit road and put a, a new set on, and he still finishes this race third. And no excuses, right? No, <laughs> I mean, I, I looked at somebody and NASCAR fans will probably appreciate this line. So somebody at the media center, I said, wait a minute, did Kyle Busch is back on the lead lap? It was like 15 to go. And he looked up, he's like, oh, you're right. And he's like, wouldn't it be funny if uh, if he wins the race? I said, I wouldn't put it out of the question, but to get back on the lead lap, I mean, Kyle has a saying called KFB. Kyle blank Bush. Um... And he's not wrong. I mean, he's this guy has taken coleslaw and hummus and turned it into prime rib steak with some of the cars that he's had to deal with um, as far as setup and all that. But 
another guy kind of like Chris Rebell that I, I kind of teased it a little bit that a, a guy that I thought was going to be in contention for this win, it's actually Joey Logano's teammate, Ryan Blaney. He's a guy that's searching for his first win this year. While we move on, do you think he gets it? You don't think he gets it this year? You would have said it by now. I think he does. I think he can. The biggest thing with Ryan Blaney is finishing off races. I mean, like I said, another guy, he kept, he ran very well in stage one. He ran very well in stage two. He collected a lot of points. He was doing what he had to do to keep himself in the conversation and keep himself near that cut line to where he's not having to face a huge deficit. And then he has a tire go down and he finishes his mid twenties. Like that's just kind of been Ryan Blaney's season kind of put in a nutshell. We'll see if he can get off the snide eventually. Speaking of getting off the snide, it looks like UNLV needs to do so for the first time this season. They have suffered back-to-back defeats. Over the last two weeks, they have been outscored 82 to 14. This most recently comes to a 40 comes from a 42 to 7 loss to Air Force on homecoming night. Let's just call a spade a spade. Like I was saying earlier, I'm probably gonna be right in terms of this six-win season for UNLV. All my win losses are wrong. Almost all of them. I had them beating both San Jose State and Air Force. And UNLV has back-to-back losses in this one. Most recently, as I just said before, 42-7, two Air Force. Do you know that over the last two years, Air Force has outscored UNLV 90-21? to Oh, it's been bad. It's been bad, bad. They've thrown two passes in those two games combined. <laughs> I would love to make it sound like that was a joke and and there was a a, a ha ha at the end of that. There's not. That's just it. That's that's just where the story ends for that one. But UNLV didn't have Doug Brumfield in this one. They didn't have Kyle Williams in this one. They didn't have Jeff Weimer in this one. They didn't have Adam Plant Jr. in this one. And they lost Aiden Robbins in this one. So the next two topics that we're about to talk about, they're all uh, contingent on injuries, right? It's going to be a lot of injuries, a lot of limping around, things of that nature. But UNLV football... I'm not sure if you can look at, especially considering the way that this team started 4-1 and one out of the gates. I'm not sure, pardon, that you won't be able to look at this team at the end of the year and say if they hadn't endured some injuries, are we looking at eight wins? Are we looking at nine wins? I'm not exactly sure what comes from this game. I do know that of this 35-point win, 28 points came from turnover. Ta-da. There's the game. Plain and simple. You know what's funny? I, I don't like to do this very often because it didn't happen. However, let's just, again, call a spade a spade. I think, obviously, if UNLV does not turn the ball over, I think they could win this game with Cameron Friel. And the <coughs> I think they can. I think only one other thing has to change, though. Hmm. Adam Plant Jr. has to play. Everything else can be the same Saturday. But if Adam plays and Cameron Freel doesn't turn the ball over, I still think UNLV wins this game. No Kyle Williams either. And I think they could have did it without Kyle still. 
How much longer can they do it without Kyle? Probably, I'm not too sure. Probably not long. But the thing is, they've had depth at that position at least, right? So now you have Ricky White, who plenty could argue based on when you see that talent, that's the number one receiver talent. I don't care what anybody says. I understand Kyle Williams. I understand what he means to this team. I understand what Jeff Weimer has meant to this for, for, to this uh, system. You look at Ricky White and you say that's the number one receiver. So Seneca McKee has come out recently and had some moments that make you not necessarily miss Jeff Weimer and Kyle Williams as much, right? But I think in these games, in these moments where it's hard to move the ball, like you said before, it's easy to it's easy to miss somebody like Kyle Williams who can, you can who can run a hitch route and just get a make one guy miss and get a couple of extra yards. Don't let him pick up a blocker because now it could be to the house. But I think for UNLV, the biggest thing I've talked about all season long has been their home or their ability at home. Right? This is their first loss at home. Here's the issue that I have with it. We said at one point that UNLV had a stretch coming up in their season where they could lose a handful of games. And we say handful sometimes, and maybe the answer is one or two, but when we say handful, there really was a chance that UNLV could lose four or five straight this season. They've lost back-to-back games. And now these are the next three games for this team. Back-to-back games on the road, they're at Notre Dame and then at San Diego State. And then they're at home again on Veterans Day against Fresno State. Jake Hayner hasn't been ruled out for the season, I do not believe. So who knows if he'll be able to come back by November. What are the chances that UNLV loses three straight games? These next three straight games, that would make it four straight, or excuse me, five straight games, and UNLV would be sitting at four and six. Not out of the question. Um, I told. I mean, I. I think I told. I said it on. Uh, I, I think I said it on Thursday when we were previewing the game that UNLV's run defense has to come to play against Air Force. Saturday night, it was their weakest link. Their run. That run defense got ran on for over four hundred yards, at home. Uh, wait, do you want some numbers on that? Yeah. They had 406 rushing yards Saturday. Yeah. Do you know that in these last two games, Air Force has ran for 951 yards against UNLV? That's embarrassing. That's two games. Like, the defense should be embarrassed of themselves. Fam, set fire to it. I don't. As much as we have talked about this defense, again, we understand Adam Plant wasn't there. But if we talk so much about this defense early in the year, it's not just Adam Plant. And, I mean, I, it, it's kind of a thing I like to pull out every now and then where one player beats a whole, <coughs> excuse me, a whole team. Brad Roberts beat UNLV. What, he had four touchdowns? UNLV had one. So Brad Roberts <laughs> on his own. You're right. <laughs> Brad he could have put up a half of the amount of production. Yeah, Brad Roberts, you know, he had he accounted for, if you, don't want, to, if you want to take away the extra points, he counted for 24 <laughs> points. UNLV only counted for seven. Uh, but it was very much like I I don't know what it is with UNLV's defenses when they play Air Force it's almost like Air Force just stands there and almost is shouting at UNLV we're running this play 
Like we're gonna do it you over. You know how and over. some things become like, and this is where I feel like certain marriages work. You know how certain things become so normal. I feel a way if I have to tell you that it's coming. I feel like Air Force doesn't even talk to UNLV anymore. Oh, they could line up without a quarterback, and like UNLV still might think they're throwing the football. And they had one pass play, I think, or maybe it's two pass plays. I don't know. Uh, in this game, it wasn't. It was. No, it wasn't more than two, but. When, I mean, you get ran on for over 400 yards. They oh Air Force runs the ball at you 77 times. Pardon. T- time out. I just asked you if you wanted those numbers, but you just brought it back full circle for me. The 406 yards Saturday, if you take that away from the 951 that they've gained over them over the last two games, that 406 is light in comparison to what Air Force did to UNLV last year. It's still not where it needs to be, though. You st- at the end of the day, on your home turf, you gave up over 400 yards. I, I mean, as a defense, you should be embarrassed, ashamed, and demoralized, to, to be quite frank. Y'all should have worked out that night. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it ain't no going to the club or nothing. Nuh-uh. No. Like, y'all I ain't... wish I would have saw somebody in it. Let me explain something to you. Let me, let me explain something to you. You know, I would have interviewed them right there. Been like, where are you going? Well, come here. <laughs> Let me talk to you. So what, what? What happened earlier? Let me come. Come here. Yeah. I'm. No, don't worry about. It. I'll come to you. Uh. Now, it wasn't. I'll, I'll say this much. To their somewhat defense, it wasn't necessarily all the defense's fault. I mean, they accounted for a lot of it. But sometimes they got put in pretty bad situations. I think three of the five turnovers in the game, they gave the ball to Air Force in the red zone. Which is a tall ask for a defense to go back out there. Like, they're looking up and going. And your your defense is playing a team that clearly they can't stop. Right. So now you're going to give them 18 yards to pay dirt. Right. I mean, I think think it was at one point, if I remember right, three UNLV fumbles in the first 10 minutes of play. It was truthfully disgusting. You know what? For UNLV to win the toss, elect to receive. That was a bull move in its own right. Facts. I was like, oh, you think you're really better than this team. Considering this team, too, I was just a little shocked because that's not what we typically see from UNLV, right? It's not what we we usually see in general if you (laughs) win the toss. That's why when they received. Well, what does Brandon Staley do? Never mind. He probably receives. Brandon Staley might be like, let's just toss it up. Um, Anywho, uh. Going back to the issues that UNLV has had, we talked about the the short fields and things of that nature, but to get that opening kickoff, to have your quarterback who's already starting for for your injured starter, right? He's in the game. He fumbles. Air Force goes down to score. It's a reset time. Reset, button, whatever, shake it off, next play. Courtney Reese fumbles the ensuing kick return. I looked at Dick Calvert in that moment, and I said, it's about to be a long night. It's one of those games. We can tell right away there's no reason to even gloss around it. I'm doing some math over here really quick, but now I'm about to just add up this last number. So, would you like to know Brad Roberts' numbers against UNLV over the last two seasons? It's probably been something. Career-esque? Yeah. 45 carries, 242 yards, and six touchdowns. So, if you break up that four, or those, what is that, 200-plus yards, Based on those 45 carries, he averages close to 5.4 yards per touch. 
So they're getting a first down every two times Brad touches the ball. That's insane. And I mean, it, like we said, it was run defense. And I think at one point in time, because the ball security was so bad, I think I said to somebody, yeah, UNLV couldn't hang onto the ball if they had duct tape on their hands. I said it on the other – I'm happy you said that because I said it on the other side. And shout out to Jose Volonte. He came over and, and said something to me early in the game. And I looked at him and I said – he asked, how was it going? And he was clearly talking about my life and myself. And I said, I don't know. I said, it looks like the guys on the field need stick them. Yeah. I'm I'm there. And the funny thing is, I don't even think stick them is legal. <laughs> but it's just not the point. You see something like that and it's like, fam, take the cheating scandal. At this point, you can't. You guys can't hold on to a football tonight. But we we've talked about it before. With this team, we're obviously being a little facetious right now. But the team did not take care of the ball. But this team has shown us both sides of the spectrum. Now they've shown us an unbelievable football team that we never thought that we see, and then they showed us a team that we thought we would see more often than not. Any chance they play spoiler this weekend? Spoiler to who? Okay, that's where. To who? Okay, I, I was just making oh. sure. I was you mean UNLV football? Yeah. I think UNLV football looks extremely competitive for a quarter. Okay. Does Doug play? If Doug Brumfield does not play, UNLV would not look competitive at all. Okay. On the offensive side of the ball, I'll put it that way. I think the defense is going to be competitive for the first quarter regardless. I'll give them that. Does Aiden Robbins play? God, I hope so. UNLV has no shot of Doug Brumfield and Aiden Roberts play. Don't play. I don't care who's on the defensive end. Yeah, that was another guy that we didn't see all that much of Saturday night. I believe, if I recall correctly, shout out to Paloma. Paloma Villacana actually tweeted it, I believe, and she she mentioned early in the first quarter that Aiden Robbins was in street clothes. And I believe Marcus Royal said it in the post-game press conference. I think it happened on the first play. On his first touch, I should say. Uh, if we recall correctly, Aiden had a 29-yard reception to start the game where's my notes oh they're in my backpack 29 yard reception reception to start the game and i believe marcus arroyo said that he took a helmet to the side of the knee Mm. he didn't know at the time what it meant or how long or if if there was a timetable to begin with but today's monday i didn't catch the press conference this morning but i'm pretty sure that was if not the first question the second question yeah i mean it's a team that i guess to Somewhat of Marcus Arroyo's defense, they're they're kind of beat up at the moment. They, I mean, you're looking at potentially not having Aiden Robbins for the next game, potentially not having your starting quarterback in Doug Brumfield for the next game. We're still unsure if Kyle Williams is going to be a go. We don't know about Jeff Weimer. Right. Your defense just lost Adam Plant Jr. Let's talk about that for a second. Because once again, shout out to Paloma. Paloma, everybody was asking about injury reports, right, right after the game. And Paloma said, uh, was there a reason why Adam Plant was – scratched from the game like everything was fine leading up and then just no Adam Plant and he said uh it was an injury that kept him out and we all know when coaches when when people don't want to answer questions right and Paloma said well was there any specific injury and Marcus Rio said no no specification now that could have meant Marcus Arroyo, like, he didn't want to tell what that particular injury was. Is that the cover for something else? And this is where we address what we believe to be the elephant in the room because Marcus Arroyo 
he just discussed Doug Brumfield in concussion protocol, and he discussed when he believes Aiden Robbins got hurt. You've shown me in those two questions, you don't have a problem answering questions about health. Leads us to believe is Aiden, is Adam Plant, or was Adam Plant actually hurt? Or was he out for a different reason that Marcus Arroyo is choosing not to disclose at this time? Two things I'm going to say about that. <laughs> Completely random, and this is funny how radio works. I saw Kenyon Oblad this weekend. Hey, shout out Kenyon. Shout out to my guy, K.O. My guy is great. I made fun of him for being a Utah Jazz fan in probably the first 14 seconds that I saw him. I don't blame him. Uh, I would have too. You know what? And then I walked away halfway through it, and then I was like, oh, we're both taking for Victor. So we should be friends right now. Uh, but no, in, in, in all seriousness, two things I'm going to say about that. We've heard stories. We've heard stories about Marcus Arroyo. Yeah. I've heard stories about Marcus Arroyo from former, I'm talking people that he was, former teammate. I have been told the same thing about Marcus Arroyo. He is hit or miss. The people that love him will fight for him. The people that don't love him don't want anything to do with him. They said the way that he goes about things, even discipline, it can be overt at times. This brings me to my second point. Nothing in Marcus Arroyo's history has ever shown us that if he did discipline Adam Plant Jr., he wouldn't have let him on the sideline. The fact that Adam Plant Jr. was on the sideline leads me to believe something did happen. I'm leaning away from a punishment. I hope that it's not something significant that Marcus Arroyo is trying to push off. For all we know, it, it could be... It could be an injury. Could be. It could be a different type of injury, though. Like a serious one? Because that's what I was talking It can be. Um, not as serious as far as, like, a broken leg or a broken arm. Something may have happened in Adam Plant Jr.'s life bef- between practice and the game that Adam probably went to Marcus and said, you know what, Coach? I don't think I'm in the right headspace at the moment. And Marcus technically isn't wrong by labeling it as an injury. I mean, all he's got to do for the injury report is say, yeah, no, he's out with injury. That's it. We see it in the WBA all the time. They have non-basketball injuries. Yeah. It could have very well been a non-football injury for Adam Plant Jr., whether he wasn't in the right headspace, whether he's dealing with you know stuff off the field. Any of that's all possible because – to f- kind of, and, and that's kind of where the conclusion I came to because I took what Paloma had said as far as like, well, nothing. I mean, he he practices all fine this week, nothing seems to slow him down and all that, and then all of a sudden he's kind of a late scratch. Who's to say nothing happened between Friday practice and Saturday game time? This is why I love doing radio with people that know sports because that never crossed my mind. And if that's the case, I like Marcus Arroyo a lot more. Granted, it doesn't help his case in terms of people saying that when if you're no longer on the team, he doesn't want anything to do with you. But it does lend a lot more credence to the people who have come to his defense and said, 
this guy is trying to galvanize a locker room. If that is something that we can allow ourselves to 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 consider as a possibility, I think it's almost impossible to not like the way Marcus Aurelio handled it, if that's the case. This game against Notre Dame takes place on Saturday, October 22nd, 11.30 a.m. That is in South Bend. Do you know that that is the first time that UNLV will be playing a game in the Eastern time zone since playing Ohio State in 2017? They're going to get paid a lot. They're going to make a lot out of this game. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, if there's any optimism. Money good money. If there's any optimism, look. Notre Dame did lose earlier this year to App State at yeah. home. And Marshall. Did they lose to Marshall too? They lost to Marshall this year. Oh, wait, never mind. They lost to Marshall. App State beat um, Texas A&M. Yes. That's where I'm getting. Okay. Um, so, I mean, if there's any optimism, they can look at it and go, well, Marshall went into Notre Dame and beat them. That was supposed to be a paycheck game for Marshall. Yep. Uh, who's to say we can't do the same thing? And this game's going to be closer than people think. For how, for how long? Are you mean at the final buzzer? Yes. Notre Dame has been wildly inconsistent this year. I have no clue what Notre Dame I'm getting on Saturday. True. True. Either the one that lost to <laughs> either the one that lost to Marshall. Or because this is uh, uh, what's the word? Um, because this is a common opponent. Notre Dame did beat Cal, but not by much. Cal went in there and hung with them. Indeed. I guess we'll see on Saturday. We're gonna know what this looks like at the end of. By halftime, we'll know. I'd be curious to see what the spread is on, spread is on this game. Let's see if I can get there really quick. Because uh, I, I think it's probably going to be a lot. And if it is, then I Yeah. Keep talking. I mean, if, I, right now off the top of the dome, I think UNLV would probably be 24-point underdogs. 24 is the number you gave me. That would be my initial guess. 24 on the nose. Good oh, God, brother. Oh, my gosh. I think that's... Wow. That was impressive. I may have a, a new career coming up. I don't know. Uh, that was pretty impressive. I'm yeah, not going to hold you. There we go. Um, I didn't even look at any of that, by the way. That was a straight-up guess. Um, 24 might be too much. UNLV was underdogs by 10.5 against Air Force. That, that and then Air Force blew that out of the water. And I, True. But like I said, I look at Notre Dame and go, who have you blown out this year? Because there's not many. If anybody. Let's go ahead and look at their wins really quick. 24-17, 45-32, and 28-20. No blowouts. Can UNLV at least cover? I mean, that that was the old saying that I had last year. Is like, and, and quite frankly, for a lot of years. We know UNLV ain't going to win. Can they at least cover? <laughs> We'll see what happens. Uh, it, again, it takes place on Saturday, October 22nd. The day after that, October 23rd, the Raiders are back in action against Houston, but for now they are in the middle of a bye week. Uh, another team that's limping into the bye week, uh, or just actually completed their bye week. They're still in the middle of it, technically. We got a game tonight. But 
there's plenty of places I want to take this Raider conversation. Um, Nate Hobbs went on IR today. And, again, this is a team that as much as we've talked about the injuries and the inability to get every – like the, that's that main group on the field at once, the injuries that the Raiders get or have been getting so far have been to – Big players that play vital positions. So we talk about Nate Hobbs right now, right? We've talked about Hunter Renfro missing games. We've talked about uh, Josh Jacobs being healthy this year, right? But it was still a concern coming into this year. And I think what becomes dangerous with this team is, Matt, you might be right. I don't know if this team struggles or if this team dominates coming out of the bye week, because depending on these injuries, this team still might struggle. You know what I think might be, I'm not going to say worse, but you know what I think might actually be the story for this team? I think this team might struggle for a vast majority of the year. I think the last three or four games, we might see everything click for the Raiders. It may be too little too late at that point, but the Raiders have been behind the eight ball since week one. I'm not sure that I've gone into a Raider game and felt good about the Raiders. Even though I thought the Raiders were going to lose week one. I haven't gone into a Raider game and felt good since week one. Does this Sunday change your mind? Does this Sunday? Not this past Sunday. Coming up Sunday. Because they can't lose this Sunday, right? They can't lose this game. I don't know, man. I will say this. The Raiders should win. The Raiders... Not only should they win, the Raiders should win this and the Raiders should act like... And I understand that this is the NFL. You, you, it's, it's hard to win every week. It's hard to win every... It absolutely is. The Raiders still need to win this game and the Raiders need to be in that locker room immediately focused on the next one in the weirdest way i don't want to see a smile i don't want to see because you're two and four you're two and four coming off of a win against the houston texans yes you should be happy to win in the nfl i bet not see no damn raiders celebrating sunday do you think it's gonna happen or is it similar to like your your what you said about the UNLV defense? Do you would you like to know what I truthfully think? I'd love to know. My gut is telling me that this team is going to celebrate Sunday. Are you going to be there going? Uh, uh, hey, curve it, bro! Like, what it curve your enthusiasm? Like, what are we doing this? What, why are we doing this right now? But my heart, I said, my gut is already telling me. I think that they're going to celebrate. My heart is telling me. That if this team is going to do anything positive under Josh McDaniels, this team would not be celebrating on Sunday. Because coming into this season, if I asked you to predict this game 12 weeks ago, before football even started, you'd have an answer. If I told you to predict that game after the preseason, you'd have an answer. 
The Raiders were probably always going to win this game. This is why I bet I see no damn celebrating on Sunday. Because coming into this year, it wouldn't even have been a question if the Raiders should have beat Houston. Shouldn't be a question once they do it. I will say this. As much as we talked earlier this year about, and it, I felt, I'm going to be honest, I felt kind of weird bringing it up, but I have a job to do, so I'm going to do it. Um, you guys know how I feel about Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams actually drove the pace car he at did. South Point 400. Yep. And this is uncomfortable to say because it just seems like, you know, this is what we have to, to, to kind of allude to, but it just is what it is. We covered the Raiders last year, right, when we watched the constant storyline. That had nothing to do with football. That's one of the main things that Derek Carr has come into the season and said, I just want to talk about football. I'm just excited to have a full season where I can talk about football. Let's see if that really is the case. Because during this entire bye week, Devontae Adams was all smiles yesterday, as he should have been. This entire bye week, anybody Raider related, and this is not just players. This is not just front office this is not just coaching staff these are the people who cover the Raiders as well we have had to talk for the last week about Devontae Adams pushing the cameraman this goes back to what I've said before about the Dallas Cowboys and about the Raiders Devontae Adams has never had any problems at least that I can remember for sure Something about putting on that silver and black. Something about putting that star on your helmet. I don't know if there was a topic in bringing this up. But I know that this is this is this goes on before you and I were even born. The Raiders have to shed that image without losing their identity. And if they can't, they're in trouble. And they're in trouble for the foreseeable future. Let's talk about basketball. Let's do it. Do it. I don't know where we go from here. Like, I don't know what you want me to say. No, but I mean, before we actually, before we do that, because I was going to do a flip flop, but I'm actually going to end with the NBA. Let's talk. Golden Knights for a second because you talked about it already. They're off to their second best start in franchise history, only behind a 4 0 start. Matt, I'm trying to do the opposite of what you did last year. I'm trying not to do it, rather. You hit that panic button really early. This team looks really good. They do. Uh, I mean, they still look. Good. They're undefeated. Got a pretty, <coughs> excuse me, impressive win. Um, five to two over Seattle. Aiden Hill's first win. Tuesday's going to be a test. Right away. Um, do you like these early? Like, granted, if you're if you're one and zero, if two teams are one and zero in the top of the division, we know that that's a first place game. But it's one and zero, right? However, you were two games in before you got to Seattle, before you got to Calgary. 
But it's a couple of different things that I want to add to it. They're both on the road. They're both early in the year. And then let's go ahead and sprinkle on the the fact that both of all of these teams were fighting for position at the top of the standings. Yeah, I think Calgary is going to be one of those measuring stick games for this team to see where they truly stack up early in the year. And it's, I mean, the Knights now have the benefit of having the first, you know, three games all be wins. So it, it's not a necessarily a huge deal if you lose this game if you're Vegas because you still have a little bit of a cushion. But at the same juncture, you still look at it and go, you know, if we're really good, we're going to win this game. If there's still a lot of areas we need to improve on, we're going to probably find that out pretty quickly in this game because Calgary is one of those teams that is always a force every year in the playoffs. You know what you're getting out of Calgary pretty much time in and time out. Um, I mean, like I said, the, the biggest thing that this team is probably should focus on right now is the power play. That, to me, is the biggest area of concern that if they were going to address anything, that would be it. Because there's no real doubt about this offense. They just went up and put five straight on uh, five straight on Seattle. Literally five nothing before Seattle even found the scoreboard. Right. Um, I mean, that game, quite frankly, was probably over by the end of the second period. I mean, it's five nothing going into the third and at that point it's like all right you kind of know it should be academic at that point we know what's going to happen now um and it's not what vegas knights fans have seen happen in previous experiences i'll, I'll preface that it's, it's more like what should happen in a hockey game when you're up five nothing <laughs> uh so vegas a little bit more in tune with that now um that's i should so say <laughs> maybe maybe that's one of the changes that bruce cassidy made he even like oh we're not doing this no more uh-uh no, you, you have a lead, you don't lose the lead. No, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to hear you. about nothing, no 3-0 lead, no 3-1 lead. I don't want to hear none of that. I wasn't supposed to go back to the Raiders right now, but I'm going to for a quick second. I covered the Raiders uh, during training camp, OTAs, things like that, right? And the Raiders, whenever they would make a mistake in practice, whether it was a turnover, whether it was a penalty, whether whatever the case may be, they would take off and hit a lap. Now, very rarely do I go to practices throughout the season, uh, but that hasn't appeared to help the Raiders much. Nope. So I just hope that somebody is responsible for keeping track of those mistakes during the game and ensuring that those players are running at practice. Yeah, but I mean, like I said, with this with this team, outside of the power play, there's not a whole lot to gripe about. But this is not something that we've that, that we're new to, right? The power play has been an issue for this team at least for the last two years. Let's get to the bottom of it. How do they correct it? I think that's the answer that Vegas has been searching for a few years now, as far as how you go about it. Uh, I think part of it is they're going to. They kind of need a little bit more luck on the power play. Um, they've been one of the more unluckier teams when it comes to the to being on the power play. Um, I mean, it, it's gotten bad at some points that I've started saying, "Well, it's like hack a shack, <laughs> hack, hack a night." Uh, you, I mean, yeah, you 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 lose a guy, but it's almost like a a, 
an advantage to the other team. They're like, oh, great, Vegas is on the power play. We know they ain't scoring, so we got a couple minutes off here. Uh, but one thing that I think Bruce Cassidy has made pretty clear through these first three games is the fourth line's coming to play. He's, he started the fourth line each of these th- first three games, which, like we talked about on Thursday, is not typically your flashier line. It's more of the, a, a lot of people, including myself, call it the grinder line because it, it's ve- it kind of is like that. It's like a, a grind more sense, whereas some of your other lines are, are fast and they get up and down and they score a lot and they, they account for a lot of your, uh, the bulk of the team scoring and all that. You don't find a lot of that in the fourth line. You see a, a guy like a, a Keegan Colasar that's a very scrappy player. Or Ryan Reeves. Ryan Reeves was a household name on the fourth line for Vegas. Um, yeah, you, you get a lot of like the, uh, and quite frankly, like the fourth line's kind of one of those, the best way I could put it is it's kind of like the area between the third string and the second string in basketball. You don't, you see them a lot. Obviously they're starting, but if you were going to bring a guy up from say AHL and put him on the NHL roster and you want to see how they do. Typically, they go on the fourth line because that is uh, typically, I mean, that's just kind of where it is. It's the less pressure line, I would assume. Yeah. I mean, we have the top line, which is obviously, you know, should be one of the better players on the team. Uh, You know, second line, pretty good players, but, you know, the the top line has a little bit better players in that second line and so on and so forth. I mean, I don't know. I would make the argument the fourth line has been the best line of the VGK so far this year. It's been the, the tone setter line, if nothing else. I mean, Saturday night was no different. The fourth line came in and scored in 12 seconds to start the game. And and who did that? Keegan Colasar. Keegan Colasar. Um, it was good to see the quote-unquote misfit line with Jonathan Marchessault and, uh, you know, Riley Smith, uh, William Carlson. Good to see those guys get going. I mean, Jonathan Marchessault had two goals. Can I throw a, a random sidebar in? Keegan Colasar and Logan Thompson made it out to several Aces games this summer. Yeah. The reason why I'm saying that is because I have to give a little bit more credit to those guys, mainly because we know how the night season ended, right? And let's again, I feel like this is if this is a podcast, we know what the episode is called. But again, let's call a spade a spade. There are certain faces that you don't see anywhere. For whatever reason, let alone sporting events where you know that you're going to be singled out. Logan Thompson and Keegan Colasar constantly on the big board at the Michelob Ultra Arena. And I think to stint, you're obviously going to get your hometown cheers and things like that. But I remember one specific time Logan Thompson was, was shown. It, it, it's, it's weird because sports is definitely such a feel, a feelings thing. They weren't booing him, but they were absolutely booing the Knights. And it came off a way. And he kind of got a got a good got a good kind of uh got a little smirk in there, gave his wave. But to see those guys face adversity like that in the offseason and have some early season success in what should be and could be a very pivotal year. For the Knights, I just think that's nothing to sneeze at. I don't know. 
What is where Darren Wall is also a lot of those games. Almost all the games, by the way. Very true. Very true. And speaking of injuries, too, I didn't mention that name, but when I mentioned about injuries in, 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 in key positions, that's where I wanted to end it with. Monday night, yes, you lose to Kansas City. The bigger loss to me was Travis Kelsey with four touchdowns on one side. The Raiders lost their starting tight end. That was the bigger loss. Not only did you lose yours, but a tight end that he's basically coming for in terms of status, he did that. Again, injuries are injuries. You can't do much with an injury. Yeah. Especially a hamstring. I don't know. I, that's, one ham, that's one injury I'm not playing through. But, I mean, hey, if nothing else, Darren Waller went and saw a winning team this past weekend. I'm sorry. That was bad. That, that may have been a little bit out of bounds. You know, I don't like when that happens because I go to try to move on, and those are the moments that I look at the screen and I'm like, where am I at, where am I at, where am I at, where am I at? Oh, man. The Knights get one more chance to uh, – or another chance, rather, to extend this undefeated start to the year. Again, they are 3-0-0. and zero. They have all six of their points. They got Calgary next up in Canada. That game takes place tomorrow, 6 p.m., We'll see if the Knights can make it four straight to open the year. That would match their best start. Should be a good one. Uh, we're going to talk. Let's end with basketball. I'm I'm, I'm married to that. Let's end with, let's end with basketball. Uh, I told you guys that the Dodgers couldn't afford to lose to the Padres, and they did. It's not looking good for them. I haven't been home, obviously, since this happened. However... <sighs> I want to know if L.A. smells different. I want to know if it looks different. I want to know if people are burning things. Um, Probably makes the 2020 championship look a little bit different. And that's coming from a Dodger fan. I'm not discounting that at all. It probably does look a little bit different. Given... I'm not mad at that take. Because, I mean, while on one hand I'm obviously happy they won the 2020 chip, on the other hand I go, man, there were all sorts of scenarios that had to be twisted and turned around for that to happen. For Didn't one, it. we had to play on a shorter season. That's number one. Cut by like 100 games. And you basically played in front of no fans. That's another aspect. And you played in a bubble – that might be number three. And then you look at what the Dodgers have done outside of that, and you go, oh, you might be right. That might be the biggest red flag based on everything you just said because you don't know what it looks like on the back end, right? And now it appears that we do. We see what it looks like two seasons after winning a championship. In fact, one of those teams that you beat on the way to your championship did it last year in a full season. Remember how I said the Dodgers couldn't have the Padres win this series? The Dodgers can't afford to have Houston win a World Series. I don't know what the conversation becomes then. Because that means they cheated and stole one from you guys. And then you caught them. And then they just did it again. Interesting. 
I hope I'm not jinxing them. But I've already said it once. What they cannot afford to happen, happened. The Dodgers cannot afford, and I'm talking their fan base, their mentality, their mental space. I don't think they can handle Houston winning the World Series. If the Yankees beat Cleveland, does the, do the Yankees beat Houston? I'm there for every game, and I hope it goes seven. I'll tell you that. Um, I don't think they do. Does Cleveland have a chance to beat Houston if they get past the Yankees? If Cleveland gets past the Yankees, Cleveland is the Cinderella story. So I don't know what happens. Then. And I understand about San Diego, but let's talk about your payroll. So... Again, if I had to root for anybody in this scenario, I know I did say Seattle gave me upset vibes. It didn't happen. They didn't even win a game against Houston. But if I'm thinking just logically with what I see left, I'm rooting on the NL side because who doesn't want to see Bryson Stott play in a World Series, right? And Bryce Harper. And Bryce Harper. I'm a little partial to UNLV, but what do I know? Now, nah, but of course, who wouldn't want to see Las Vegas Native sons, right? Playing in the World Series at the highest level. I think when you look at the other side, the Yankees struggling with Cleveland in this series. I don't know if you could look at them as as a favorite anymore, but I, I think right now, if you, I understand people that that have uh, that sli- that are sliding their money to San Diego's side of the table. I'm not mad at that, but I think if you just look at the team that's probably cooking with the most with the most gas right now, I'm probably gonna go Houston. I think Houston comes out of the AL. Do they win it all? I have no idea. I think they come out of the AL. The Dodgers better hope they don't win it all. Where's Kansas City? Never mind. <laughs> you know what? You know what? If I am a Kansas City Royal, I have on my 2015 World Series championship right now. My championship ring. Because why not? They might not. I'm not going to say ever because they, they probably said that before, and that's why they got that one in 2015. It may be another 100 years <laughs> before the Royals win another one. But we talk about parity in baseball. This year is no different. I think if you started this year and told everybody that, let's say that the, that the, that the Guardians win tonight, if you go ahead and and, and, and uh, try to guess the Final Four in this bo- in this baseball year, if you told me the NL would have Philadelphia and San Diego prior to these trades, and Houston would have Cleveland, I think people would be okay with two of those names. They would look at you and say, San Diego, Cleveland, what? No way. Hell, I think you might even get some pushback on Philly, but nevertheless. Now do we go to basketball? I think so. I think now is the basketball talk. We'll end this show with basketball. Uh, tomorrow, the season opens up. The season opens up in Boston. Philadelphia is in town. I think Boston will ultimately right the ship. I just feel like we can go ahead and start typing those stories now about what the loss or the suspension of M.A. Udoka means for Boston because Boston's going to be fine. Boston's going to struggle early. Do you think it's tomorrow early? I think it's right away. Ooh. I think it's right from the jump. 
I think this team might be looking at four and six through the first ten, and I haven't even looked at their first ten games. But I'm looking at something like that. Hell, even if they're five and five, that's grossly underachieving for a team that made the NBA Finals. Not just a team that made the NBA Finals, but a Boston Celtics team that made the NBA Finals. I think. What do I say all the time? I think that these these rules about sports gods are real. If I believe that these rules about sports gods are real, it doesn't stop per franchise. Therefore, I think while Ma Udoka may have done something that was uh grossly wrong and vile right i do think the way that the boston celtics handled it i think the boston celtics are going to pay or are going to pay for it on the court you want to know their first 10 give me their first 10 76ers at home tomorrow loss heat on the road loss magic on the road that's a win bulls on the road that's a win cavs at home that's a loss. Wizards at home. That's a win. Uh, That's three and three through the first six. Cavs on the road. I think they lose that one, but maybe I'll give them the Cleveland at home then. So that's what, four and three. Uh, Bulls at home. Mm. I'll take a pick them, but I'm, I'm going to go Boston for that one. So that's five and three. Knicks on the road. Hmm. <laughs> Because I said what I said, I'm going to go against the grain. I'm going to take the Knicks in that one. R.J. Barrett did it to him last year. Let's see what happens. Grizzlies on the road. That's a loss. Five and five. I think just early in the year. Now, do I think that the, that Boston handles these teams later in the year? Probably. But I think Joe Mazzulla is going to get some unfair criticism to start the year, which he shouldn't be in a line of fire anyway because the move shouldn't have been made. Unless you're firing M.A. Udoka. However, Joe Mazzulla is going to catch a lot of heat in this first uh, in this first season. I think especially in his first month. Jason Tatum should be healthy. I'm hoping he's healthy, right? He said he played the entire finals with a, a shoulder injury, which makes a lot of sense com- compared to what we watched early in that postseason run to where Jason Tatum ended up in that postseason run. Uh, I, I don't know what it means for Philadelphia, though. Philadelphia is the wild card. 100%. Philadelphia is that team like Toronto a couple of years ago, right? Or how long was Kawhi there? Uh, but a co- Or how long ago was Kawhi there? Oh. Uh, but a couple of years ago, right, we felt that way about Toronto, I felt like. We, we looked at DeMar DeRozan. We looked at Kyle Lowry. We looked at the system, and we would go, I don't know, man. That's a team that's supposed to come out of the East. I don't know. And then you see LeBron, and you're just like, oh, well, you're not beating him. You look at Indiana, and you go – Okay, that's a team that's poised for the finals. And then you look at the Heat and you go, oh, well, you guys aren't beating them. So, I mean, we'll figure out what happens. And I think that's kind of where Philly is right now. Now, the only difference between those two teams that I just mentioned, the Pacers never got over that. The Raptors went out and got Kawhi Leonard. I still think Philadelphia is one move away. They have all the active pieces. Best news for them is they have Daryl Morey. Somebody who has no problem pulling the trigger. Not a one. Matter of fact, Daryl Moore, do you want to work for Indiana? Just checking. Just, I, you miss 100% of shots you don't take. I just threw something out there. Hopefully he hears it. But you can't have that fear. Now, who is that player? I have no idea. No clue. What if he goes and gets Dan? I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think so either. 
just throwing stuff at a wall. What happens if he goes and gets Dame? I don't know if Philly gets any better. And that's nothing to do with Dame. It's what Philly currently has sitting. I think we're closer to an implosion than we are anything moving forward progressively in Philadelphia. How long should we be trusting this process for? I'm happy you asked that question because I'm here to tell you the next time Philadelphia has an implosion, Joel Embiid is going to want out. He may want out right now. No, you can't want out right now. Why not? James Harden looks healthy. He's lost weight. You got to give it the year. How long did he put up with Ben Simmons' crap? Respect to Ben Simmons and respect to James Harden, but they are not the same person. So if you're getting... Now, I'm more inclined to agree with you if you ask me that question about last year's James Harden. This if James Harden shows up again like last year, and this is where it does, it is kind of an unfair knock on James. He's not the same player, but that's a credit to James because James was unworldly, like otherworldly when he was great. James is good now. And because James is good, that's an extreme fall from great. If James looks the same way that he did last year, unfortunately, I do think maybe I lean towards you in terms of Joel Embiid might want out. But because he's coming in less heavy, he appears to be injury free. If I'm Joel, you got to go in with a clear slate, with a clean slate. However, let me throw a monkey wrench in really quick. Shout out to DeMarcus Cousins. Because let's say Joel Embiid doesn't want to give James Harden a chance. James didn't give that new group in Houston a chance. That was John Wall's point. That was DeMarcus Cousins' point. You ain't even see what we could do yet. Cool. So if it happens to James at any level of his career, one could argue it's poetic justice. I don't know if we see Joel Embiid a 76er the entirety of this year. Of this year? I think even if he raises hell this year, he's not going into the offseason. Even if he raises hell. I mean, Joel Embiid could be on the move by the deadline. Philadelphia would have to implode in the worst way. And I think the largest implosion of the season goes to Phoenix. They'll be done before December. They're going to ask DeAndre Aiden to walk away from this team. And then they're going to trade him in January. That I won't disagree with. Philadelphia might be our second implosion. I'm not mad at that. I'm, I'm going I'm to throw one more in there before it happens. And this is not a good team. But I said what I said about Philly because I think Dame, I think Dame finally has that moment this year where he's like, fam, not only are we not progressing – we're going backwards. There's three teams. Could all very well implode before our eyes. We're talking about all these implosions and we haven't mentioned the Lakers. You want to do that? Oh, there's a fourth. I mean, but they're kind of, they've always been like imploding the past handful of years. So like. Fam, I, I just want to address this and I'm done. I swear. Talk about uh, a COVID chip, by the way. They had to have all sorts of bent over and bent around and Yeah. Like, <laughs> I've seen this video recently. It's two videos, ironically enough, back-to-back days. Uh, maybe even been the same game. Russell Westbrook uh, refused to join a huddle. 
an in-game huddle that Patrick Beverly was trying to call. That's number one. Number two, the team was getting introduced and may have been introducing the last starter. And Russ was doing his typical, which I do want to give him the credit for that, his typical pregame routine where he runs over to the front row. He claps it up. He He's trying to get some energy from him. Russell Westbrook is a, is a bright guy. He is a really smart guy. Yes, Russ, you've done this your entire career. Russell Westbrook, how many times can you show me on video that you have done that while your team is being introduced? Both things are true, and I don't think Russell is that dense. Russ wants out. Russ has always struck me as an authentic person. I wish one of two things for Russell Westbrook. I wish Russell Westbrook would either be real with himself and everybody else and tell us publicly he wants out, or I wish Russell and the reason why I think that that's not happening is because Russ doesn't want out. Do you know what I think you know what I need that Russ to do, which is that second thing? Grow up. Have they treated him like trash? Absolutely. Have the fans treated him like trash at moments? Absolutely. <coughs> yeah. Russ, did you stink last year in comparison to you? Yeah. Yes. Was it your fault in terms of why you stunk? I don't think so. Them jump shots hitting backboards? Absolutely your fault. The fact that he couldn't get a rhythm, the fact that he didn't have a ball in his hands, am I mad at Russ for not having a Russ year? No. But Russ, if the situation is better this year, then trust that you'll be back to your old self. Unless you don't trust that you can. We're going to know early, again, whether Russ is really bought into this team. Because he can say whatever the hell he wants. You opted into this team indeed. I haven't seen Russell buy-in yet. Because of that, the Warriors by 30 tomorrow. Warriors-Lakers' is first game? Yes. Well, not first game, but opening night. Well, game. first night for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where's it at, Oracle? Yes, ring night. Warriors by 30. We talk about spreads all the time. I don't know if you could set something as high. You can't even set it as high, like... Like, if I'm a, a, an odds maker, I just look at this game and go, all right, so where do we want to start? 15? 15. And just go up from there? It just, because we, we're not going the other way. We're not going down to 14. or th We're just going to go the other way, so we may as well just start. I, I've said this before on this radio show plenty of times. You've, you've tried to get me to stick a fork in the Lakers plenty of times, and I won't do it. You should. Because it's <laughs> You really should. Because Russ, LeBron, and AD – should be enough to get it done. As long as you have competent basketball players around them, I think it's enough to get it done. I think the Lakers, <laughs> this is sad, but let's say the Lakers went 45 games. I consider that a win with the way that this team has been looking in these past couple of weeks. The spread is six. 
interesting. The spread is six, is what I'm going to say. But whatever. Nevertheless, it's going to happen, and it's going to happen relatively quickly. The thing is, once these two teams meet, they won't meet again until February. This game will take place tomorrow night, and then the next time that they meet will be February 11th on ABC. They will meet again on February 23rd on TNT, and they will meet a fourth and final time March 5th on ABC. Um, I don't know, man. It's going to be interesting. Okay, this is where I was going. I knew it was one more thing. Back to the Laker point, Russell Westbrook. Remember that argument? And we can end with this because the show is essentially over at this point. All tip-ins have been read. Shout out to you guys for joining us via Facebook Live for listening to the podcast version of this radio show. Uh, again, we're going to get right to this this final point and we'll get out of here. Remember when I told you I had that argument on Instagram? Like, And by the way, I told you when I put my, my stories or my, my posts on Instagram or comments, whatever, typically I say what I say and I leave it. Like, I don't really care what responses come after um i'm done i said what i needed to say (laughs) remember that time and i told you i didn't do it it was about russell westbrook coming off the bench right the reason why i said sidebar to that is because unlv basketball did a video recently about um artists that are overrated like music artists that were overrated i don't know if he was trolling i don't care somebody in the beginning said uh tupac and somebody ended it off by saying DMX. And granted, I've realized, I told you a couple years ago, I realized I'm the old guy on campus now. So I realized that. So I said, oh, okay, cool. So I'm the 27-year-old about to be 28. I know what I'm going to say. So I was like, my comment was Pac and DMX? Sheesh. You should see the amount of replies to that comment. I've read maybe like two. Going viral. I don't, I said what I said. I don't care how you gentlemen feel. None of you, not a single one. So you telling me, oh, DMX did this, Pac did this, me against the world is this. I do not care about your opinion. Were you trying to find a way to monetize that? I just couldn't care any less. All the people that. I said what I said, bro. I'm not coming back to this post. <laughs> like, bro, if you don't get out of here. Um, but I say all of that to say I did that argument on Instagram about Russell Westbrook coming off the bench because I said it makes sense. Yeah. If Russ wants the ball in his hand, plain and simple, Russ, one of two things is going to have to happen. You're either going to have to get better than LeBron James, like, right now, or you're going to have to become a knockdown three-point shooter. Nine times out of ten, Russ, neither of those things are happening. If that's the case, I said this early. If I'm Darvin Ham, I'm calling Russ into the office. I'm picking up a shiny set of keys. I'm just dangling them. When Russ says, what is that? These are the keys to my second unit. Take them. You're going to be out there with respect to Vegas. You're going to be out there with Troy Brown, respectfully to Vegas. Troy is a nice guy. Troy is my guy. Troy is going to, def- to going to defer to Russell Westbrook, as he should. Troy is going to be better because of playing with Russell Westbrook next to him. 
only thing that stops this from working is Russell Westbrook. Ain't the first stop it's happened. Please, God, let it be the last. Until next time, guys. Keep on talking. <laughs>